Our text comes from Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, just one verse today. It says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. In fact, let, let's say it together just so we can remember it. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. It's a simple verse, isn't it? But there's depth to our Christian experience that is described here. And on this Pentecost Sunday, it seems appropriate that we would consider the Christian life in relation to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. So let's consider the two parts of this verse. I'm just basically going to divide it in two and use it as my very simple outline for this morning. So first, let's look at life by the Spirit, life by the Spirit. And secondly, let's look at life in step with the Spirit, life by the Spirit, and then life in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, Paul says, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, this is typical Apostle Paul. As he often does, he goes from the indicative to the imperative. If we live by the Spirit is a description of who we are. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit is an exhortation to live accordingly. So in other words, since the Spirit gave you life, conform your conduct to the Spirit. And Paul's talking to Christians. He's talking to us, those who profess to, to believe and follow Christ. And he reminds us that our life comes from the Holy Spirit. And because our life comes from the Holy Spirit, we are to live according to Him. Okay, so who is the Spirit and what kind of life does He give? There are two basic truths to be learned and remembered about the Holy Spirit. One, He is God. Number one, He is God. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He's often mentioned along with the Father and the Son. He is God in the same way that the Father and the Son are God. The Holy Spirit is no less God, no less divine than the Father or the Son. He possesses the same divine nature, and thus He deserves the same worship. So that's the first truth. He is God. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's a person. He's not a power. He's not an energy source that we can sort of tap into and use indiscriminately of purpose. No, He's a person. And as a person, He can be grieved. He can be rejected. He can be lied to. He can be listened to. He can be loved. He can be obeyed. Our relationship with the Spirit is personal and intimate. Now, the church has known that from the Scriptures and has taught that over the centuries, and yet in every century, in every generation, we need a reminder of who the Holy Spirit is. By the nature of the Holy Spirit's role, He is the behind-the-scenes promoter of Jesus and the redemptive work of Christ, and because of His great humility, we tend to forget and we tend to misinterpret what we read in Scripture. So we need these reminders. We need to hear again and again that He is God and that He is a person. The Nicene Creed, the fourth century statement of the Christian faith, refers to the Holy Spirit as the Lord 
the giver of life. The Lord, the giver of life, it puts him in the divine status, right? He's the Lord, just like Jesus is the Lord, just like the Father is the Lord. And he is the giver of life, just like God is the giver of life. Because he is God, he gives life. The Spirit is the source of all life. All life has its origin in him. Without him, nothing would exist. So we owe our life to the Holy Spirit. He is God's life-giving breath. We read in Job 33, verse 4, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Now, that's who he is. Now, what does he do? What kind of life does he give us? Now, turn with me to chapter 3 of the Gospel of John. So, John chapter 3. Now, this is probably a familiar passage to many of us, and this is probably the best passage to go to if we're trying to understand what kind of life the Holy Spirit gives us. Now, in chapter 3 of John, Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, very knowledgeable of the religious things. And he comes to Jesus, and he wants to, I think, essentially find out what is Jesus about. And so Jesus tells him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus says, while we seem to be alive, we need to be born again into a different kind of life. The life of the kingdom, the life of God. Now, Nicodemus understandably does not understand. I think all of us would have been exactly in the same situation as he was. How can a person return to their mother's womb as an adult and be born a second time? That's the natural response of a reasonable person, right? How can you be born again? I've already been born, I'm grown. How can I be born again? And so Jesus explains in verses 5 and 6, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus says, everyone has been born physically, but we lack spiritual life. And that spiritual life comes from the Holy Spirit. To be born again is to receive spiritual life from the Spirit of God. Ephesians 2 describes the second birth this way. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now, we're spiritually dead, though physically alive, because of our sinful state. And God loves us and shows mercy to us. And instead of leaving us in our dead state, He graciously restores life to us. This this is what it means to be a Christian. 
is to be raised, made alive with Christ. Now notice that this second birth happens because of Christ and together with Christ. There, there is no contradiction between what the Spirit does and what, what Christ came to accomplish. Jesus Christ died for our sins because our sins is the cause of our state of death. And when he died, he cleared us of our guilt before God. But then he rose again, and thus he gives us new life with God. So the Holy Spirit takes what Christ has accomplished and applies it to us. Very practically, he takes what Jesus did, and then he makes it real for a specific person. He makes us alive together with Christ. So we, if we are Christians, we are no longer dead in our sins because Christ died in our place for our sins. And we now live our new spiritual life because Christ rose from the dead for us. Now, this is what the new birth is. The Spirit restores spiritual life to us based on what Jesus has achieved on our behalf. And biblically, no one can be a Christian without having been born of the Spirit. You cannot have Christ and not have the Spirit. Nor can you have the Spirit and not be connected to Christ. Romans 8 verse 9 says, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So if you are a Christian and you're wondering, do I have the Spirit? If you are a Christian, you have the Spirit. If you have the Spirit, you are a Christian. You cannot separate Christ and the Spirit in their work among His people. If you know Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. That is the only way to know Him. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have Christ. You've been bought with His blood, and you've been given His life. So when we read our verse in Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, this is what it means. Since we are spiritually alive, since we have been born again, if we live by the Spirit means since we have been forgiven our sins, been born again, since we are in Christ, since His death and resurrection been applied to us by the Spirit, since we are true Christians, this is where Paul starts. He says, if you are a Christian, the Spirit is real in your life. You have life from the Holy Spirit. That's where he starts. If you are a genuine Christian, this is where you are. You have the Spirit, and you have life from the Spirit. And then we get into the implications of that. Then you have to say, well, how do I now live? But of course, before we get there, I have to ask. We have to ask ourselves, is this true of me? Have I been born of the Spirit? Have I received new life from the Spirit? Or put it in a different way, am I connected to the crucified and risen Jesus Christ by faith? Now, this is the most important question of your life, unquestionably. Because the way you answer that question determines the trajectory of your life. If you say, yes, I've been born of the Spirit, I believe in Jesus, I'm a real Christian. If you say that, and it's true, your trajectory is towards life. Life will increase and abound in your life. 
But if you say no, if you say, I'm not connected to Christ, I don't have the Spirit, the trajectory of your life is toward death. And you will experience more and more death. Now, Christianity is about the second birth and the new life in the Spirit. To be a Christian, Christianity is not a political affiliation, even though the gospel greatly affects how we do politics. Christianity isn't moral conforming to a particular code of conduct, even though, of course, the Holy Spirit's new life affects very much how we act and what we do. Christianity isn't religious observance, even though this new life makes us observe all sorts of things in our faith. But the core, what is, what is the key, what is the, the center of being a Christian? It is connecting to Christ through the Holy Spirit and receiving a new life. That's what it is. So do you have that? Are you a Christian? Because the rest of the sermon will not help you. In fact, I think it will hurt you if you're not a Christian. Because it'll be easy to slip into moralism, to slip into emotionalism, to slip into experientialism if you are not a Christian. The law, for example, is good for Christians. It is terrible for unbelievers. The Holy Spirit's commands in Scripture are life to the Christian. But to the unbeliever, it's death. So you have to settle it. You have to settle this issue. Are you a Christian? Have you been born again? If you have not, just pause there. Pause there. And I give you permission to ignore the rest of the sermon, okay? You don't have to listen to anything else, but deal with Christ. Deal with Him. And then you'll work out the rest of it. If you are a Christian, please listen very, very carefully. Because this matters. Because this is how you work out this new birth. This is how you are to live as a Christian. So what is this life in step with the Spirit? Since we have new life from the Spirit, if we live by the Spirit, we should live according to this new life. Now, that's the logic. That's, the, that's typical gospel logic in Scripture. It moves from who we are in Christ to how we should live consistently with who we are. We have life by the Spirit, so we should act, think, feel, treat others, make plans in agreement with the Spirit who gives us life. Here's an illustration. As many of you know, I became a U.S. citizen two years ago in the summer. And because I am now a U.S. citizen, I must now act like one. And by the way, when you go through the ceremony, they emphasize it. There's a pledge. And in that pledge, several things are mentioned and new citizens commit to a different kind of life. Now, before I was a citizen, I could say, you're president, right? Which I often did. <laughs> now I can't say that. Now it's our president, right? I could say, you're crazy politics. Now I can't say that. It's mine also. I have to vote. That's a right, privilege, right? Responsibility of a citizen. Now, I didn't vote before I was a citizen. There was no pressure on me, no opportunity to vote. 
but now that is something I need to do. I share now the history of this country. I share now the values of this country. Now I am called to help solve the problems of this country. And if time comes, I will need to defend this country. Now that's, and by the way, they tell you all of that when you, when you do the pledge, when you become a citizen, because that's what it means. Now without being a citizen, I am not under any responsibility to do any of that. But now that I am a citizen, I need to live accordingly. And so I need to live as a citizen, not just be considered one. Since I am a citizen, I must also act like a citizen. Since I am a Christian, I must also walk in step with the Holy Spirit. So how can we live consistently with this new status, this new life of the Spirit? Paul describes it as keeping in step with the Spirit. It's a good translation, keeping in step with the Spirit. This term comes from the military. It means to walk in line, to keep in rank and file, to stay in formation, to march in battle order. Does it help you understand what Christian life is? That Paul is using this military metaphor And he's saying, if you want to work out your Christian identity, if you want to live as a Christian, you march in formation with the Holy Spirit. You fall in line with the Holy Spirit. We are to follow Him. We are to go where He goes. We are to move at the pace that He moves. We are to trust Him as He leads us. This is all of that is included in this metaphor. This keeping in step with the Spirit is both individual and communal. Each individual Christian must develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Each Christian is to follow step by step the Spirit of God. We are to listen to Him. We are to obey Him. We are to accept His correction. As He battles our sin, we are to work with Him. We are to welcome His encouragement. How well do you know the Holy Spirit? Do you live in a relationship with Him? Now, this is a very, very specific and practical question. I'm not asking you how knowledgeable you are about the Holy Spirit, even though that matters. I'm asking you how well do you know Him as a person? Remember, He's a person. How well do you know Him? How closely do you live with Him? That's the individual part. But communally, we are keeping in step with the Spirit together. Now, notice that in Galatians, I mean, when you isolate one verse, you can easily just take it personally and have no communal implications. But not if you read the chapter. Because the very next verse, Galatians 5.26, says, Let us not become conceited provoking one another, envying one another. I mean, right away, Paul moves into the the corporate, the collective application. If we walk in step with the Spirit, we are to do it together. We are to do it together in formation, together. We march together, each in their proper place, mindful of others around us. We work together. The church is not stationary. 
It's moving in formation under the command of the Spirit. And today on this, this Pentecost Sunday, we recall the birth of the church by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit animates the church. The Holy Spirit directs the church. The Holy Spirit purifies the church. The church cannot exist without the Holy Spirit. It wouldn't exist. It wouldn't be here, and it cannot go on unless the Holy Spirit continues to move us. Do you see yourself marching in formation with other Christians? Do you know your place in that formation? Or are you following from a distance, falling behind, or maybe running ahead? You're not really part of the formation of the church. You're not part of the organized, led by the Holy Spirit unit. You're on your own. That's not the true Christian life. The Christian life is designed to be lived in community with other believers. We are a body of Christ, which means everybody has to be together. Everybody has to work together. If we are to be healthy, everybody has to bring their gifts. Everybody has to take their place. As we keep in step with the Spirit, we see Him as our commander. He is our commander. Because the Holy Spirit is God, He exercises divine authority. Some Christians think of the Holy Spirit as sort of this gentle breeze, right? This kind of a person who's mostly wiser than you are, and sometimes he has something good to say, and, you know, most of the time it's probably good to listen to him. That is not who he is. He exercises divine authority. He's a commander. He tells you what to do. He gives you orders. He's in charge. He is in control. We are following him. One of the bloodiest battles of the war in Ukraine is the battle for Bakhmut. For many months, the Ukrainian army defended this small city against the Russian offensive that is far superior in the number of troops and firepower. The only way the Russians were able to take control of the city, and by the way, still a small part of the city seems to be under Ukrainian control, but most of it has been taken. The only way they could take it is by completely destroying the city, building by building, city block by city block, because the Ukrainian defenders defended every street. We don't know how many people were wounded and killed in Bakhmut on either side. But it's at least in the tens of thousands, with Russia's losses likely being several times greater than Ukraine's. Now, throughout this long battle, it's been lasting for several months, many observers questioned the strategy of both Russia and Ukraine in fighting for that seemingly insignificant place. And especially, the strategy of Ukraine's defensive has been questioned. Why would you spend so much power, so much ammunition, so many soldiers on defending this one town? While opinions were shared in the media and many discussions and debates were happening all over the place for months, the Ukrainian soldiers in Bakhmut continued to fight, seemingly unaffected by the controversy. They were following the orders of their commanders. They did not need to know the overall strategy. Soldiers often don't know 
what is happening on the higher level of command. They were focused on defending their city block. They were making sure that the enemy suffered maximum loss, even if they were advancing. They followed their orders. They followed what their commanders told them to do. And as we think about Memorial Day coming up tomorrow, and you think about many who lost their lives in battle, sometimes you wonder, were those orders right? Was that war just? Was that battle, was that battle governed correctly? Were the right resources spent? And we can question that. But not with the Holy Spirit. With the Holy Spirit, the orders are always right. The strategy is always right. The sacrifice is always worth it. This is the Christian life. We take the next step as the Spirit directs us, often not knowing where it's going to lead, often not being privy to the larger strategy, but we follow Him because He is our commander. There's a gradual daily nature to our spiritual life, and it's important for us as Christians to embrace it and to rest in that. We trust the Spirit to lead us each day, often not knowing where He's going to lead us the following day or the following week. But we take the step. We are keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. It's not accidental. There's a marching metaphor, right? So we're just taking the next step. We're marching the way He tells us. In fact, Paul's military metaphor reminds us of the power of the spiritual disciplines in the Christian life. It's developing daily habits. It's learning to follow the next command. It's learning to deal with this sin today. This is how we progress in our Christian life. We develop habits like Bible reading, prayer, confession, worship, fasting, spiritual friendship. All those things become part of our life and they become part of how we march and so as we receive orders, they come into this already existing movement. We're already moving that direction. We're just waiting for the next order, the next command, and we are moving forward. And these disciplines help us stay in formation. They help us stay in motion. The Christian life is a battle against sin. It's a battle against your flesh and the world and the devil. And how do we battle how do we win that war? We win it battle by battle. We go step by step. We take the next city block. We defend the next street. We follow the next order of our commander. But the Holy Spirit is not only our commander. He is also our companion. There's another role the Spirit takes. He doesn't remain distant and sort of issue orders from afar. He comes close. He's actually in our formation. He goes with us. He goes alongside us. He, he goes beside us. And Jesus is teaching on the Holy Spirit in John 14 and 16, and Ryan mentioned that when we, when we sang earlier. He is called a comforter. Jesus calls, Jesus gives him a title to explain to us what the role of the Holy Spirit is. And, 
and this, and depending on the translation you use, there's lots of ways to translate it in English. Some translate it as comforter, some translate it as helper, some translate it as advocate, some translate it as counselor. But the name is meant to assure us that the Holy Spirit will be with us even as Jesus returns to the Father is not physically with us. The Holy Spirit is with us in place of Jesus, and He is with us. So become, He becomes our companion. And the Spirit will help us and comfort us and defend us and encourage us as we continue to follow Christ. The Holy Spirit is not a distant commander. He is a companion on the way of Jesus. He not only gives orders, He also gives us power and motivation to follow them. Without Him, we simply cannot live as Christians. Now, let me read from John Owen, the Puritan theologian, in fact, known for his works on the Holy Spirit. I'll read this. I'll read it slowly. I want you to listen and reflect, but then I will post it on Realm. I'll post this quote on Realm, and you can meditate on that. But Owen helps us understand just how necessary the presence of the Holy Spirit, the comfort, this, this guidance, this, this, this presence being with us and helping us, how important it is in various circumstances of life. So listen to John Owen. In all the concerns, in all that concerns us in this life, and in all our expectation of another life, we will always stand in need of the comfort and strength of the Holy Spirit. Without the comfort and strength of the Holy Spirit, we will either despise afflictions or collapse under them, and God's purpose in sending them to us will be defeated. Without the comfort and strength of the Holy Spirit, sin will either harden us so that we treat it with contempt, or else cast us into despair, and so we neglect the gracious means that God has provided us with to defeat it. Without the comfort and strength of the Holy Spirit, duties will either puff us up with pride or leave us without the joy which will encourage us to further obedience. Without the comfort and strength of the Holy Spirit, prosperity will make us worldly and sensual in finding contentment in these things and so weaken us for the day of trial. Without the comfort and strength of the Holy Spirit, the comforts of our loved ones will separate us from God, and the loss of them will turn our hearts to stone. Without the comfort and strength of the Holy Spirit, the poverty of the church will overwhelm us, and the prosperity of the church will not concern us. Without the comfort and strength of the Holy Spirit, we shall not have wisdom in our work, nor peace in any condition, nor strength for any duty, nor success in trial, nor will we have joy and comfort in life, nor light in death. And then Owen says, How sad, then, is the condition of those who know nothing of the Spirit as comforter. His point is that without the Holy Spirit as a companion, as a comforter, we cannot deal with anything in life properly. 
Not suffering, not abundance, not our work, not our duties, not our obedience, not our corporate worship. None of that works without the strength and comfort of the Holy Spirit. So know him as your comforter. See him as your commander and take his orders and march in formation together with others and yet know that he is there marching with you, comforting you, encouraging you, correcting you, counseling you, giving you wisdom, reminding you of what Jesus said, praying for you. Know him as your comforter. And finally, we must consider where the Holy Spirit is leading us as we keep in step with Him. What is the goal? What is the purpose of walking with Him? Where are we going? Now look at John 16, verse 14. Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, He says, He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit's goal is to glorify Jesus and make us like Him. The Spirit is sent to continue the work of Jesus. And so to follow the Spirit is the same as to follow Jesus. To be changed by the Spirit is to be changed into Christ's likeness. As the Spirit fights sin in our lives, we become less sinful and thus closer to who Jesus is. As the Spirit bears fruit in our life and makes us more holy, we become more like Jesus, who is holy. Now, if you go right, right before our passage into the list of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, who does that remind you of? I mean, that's Jesus. That's, that's who He is. Love and peace and joy and kindness and gentleness and all those things, that's Jesus. That's describing Him. And so when the Holy Spirit is active in your life, you will become like Jesus. And that's why Jesus came. That's why he died. That's why he rose again, to make us like himself. He became like us so we can become like him. He came to restore the image of God in us. He came to reconcile us to God. He came to give us life, abundant life, God's life, eternal life that God has. We were predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son, and the Spirit is accomplishing that purpose. That's what He's doing. He is making you like Jesus. And as you march in formation with Him and with others, you are becoming more and more like Him. As you take your place in that formation and step by step continue to pursue what He tells you to do, as you do that, you are being formed into the image of Jesus Christ. This is how it works in the military. It's not only about accomplishing the mission, or any particular mission. It is also being changed. Anybody who's in the military is being shaped they're being changed through the disciplines. They're becoming different kinds of people. And so Christians are becoming more like Jesus even as we walk in step with the Holy Spirit. How do you know if you or someone else is keeping in step with the Spirit? How can you know that? 
you know that by their increasing Christ's likeness. Is the Spirit at work? Well, are we like Jesus? Is the Spirit here working among us? Does our church reflect who Jesus is? The Spirit is at work when we become like Jesus. This is what He wants. He wants to glorify Jesus. Jesus.